We are back for nosebleeds after a brief hiatus. Plenty has gone down, so this is a perfect week to bring back nosebleeds here on WFUVSports.org. Emmanuel Berbari, Jackson Heil, Jimmy Sullivan. Guys, it's been a while, but the stove, as opposed to last year, is absolutely scorching during the winter meeting. So much has gone down, chiefly Garrett Cole, a New York Yankee. Guys, how's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm happy to see, like you said, with the hot stove, people out there spending money, whether it's Cole, Rendon went down last night, Steven Strasburg earlier in the week. I'm just happy to see that, and I think it makes free agency better. I think it's more interesting because we were all sitting on pins and needles Monday and Tuesday thinking, what's going to happen with Garrett Cole? And then Tuesday night around midnight, the um, I don't remember if it was Heyman or Passon dropped the bomb that he was going to the Yankees, which felt a little inevitable all along. Hey, you better give credit to John Heyman yeah. where it's due. <laughs> the, the Scott Boris puppet continues to deliver, but listen, I could be better. I mean, Garrett Cole's a Yankee. That That's kind of depressing, to be honest, if we're thinking about it. Jonathan VR is no longer an Oriole, which is the biggest news of the offseason thus far, so that's even more depressing. But wow. listen, uh, it, happy to see that the winter meetings are back to where it was a few years ago. Though. Maybe no lockout in two years. Yeah, well, that, that's happening. No, let, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, but... Uh, the winter meetings are back, semi to where they were when everything would happen in a span of, what, 48 to 72 hours, and it seemed like that was the case, and every bomb that happened happened no earlier than 11 o'clock at night, which was kind of cool. But So we can kind of put this in a, two, in a few layers. We have the coal news, we have other winter meetings news, we also have a couple moves the Mets made that, that we can get into, and then... At the winter meetings, A.J. Hinch spoke on the whole Astros cheating scandal. So give our two cents on it. Also how A.J. Hinch is just embarrassing himself uh, because he, he was like the little boy who, who didn't know what he just did wrong, sweating bullets when he full well knows what he did wrong, trying to put off that image. Very, very funny from A.J. Hinch. He got his hand caught in the cookie jar, and then he said, I wasn't going for cookies. <laughs> like, no, yeah. obviously. Like, we all knew what was going on. You know, it made him laugh when the Yankees accused them of whistling, right? <laughs> yeah, and then, what was the thing that he said? It was it was after one— it was, The Boston series. No, it was the Yankees series this year. He said, well, you know— it, if this stuff was going on, like, why would I even feel the need to, like, say Oh, we should have practiced it in spring training. Well, you did. <laughs> you did. No, and they've been doing it for, like, three years. Right. So that just makes A.J. Hinch look abominable. We have various angles we can go with the Astros thing, so we'll get into that later in the show. I'm sure Jackson will have a couple of their innocent takes as well. So, Oh, they're not innocent takes, but we'll, we'll get them. <laughs> Garrett Cole signs with the New York Yankees. We knew this was a possibility, but I think entering the offseason, none of us would have been surprised in the slightest if he didn't sign with the Yankees because the Yankees have come up short, as we've documented plenty of times in this podcast, of, of obtaining that big fish, going the extra mile to really fortify a championship roster. And the Los Angeles Angels came into this offseason primed to just spend stupid money, which they did, on Anthony Rendon. Garrett Cole signs nine years, $324 million, $36 million annually. It'll even out throughout the contract. And when you look at it, I know people were trying to report geography. I know people were trying to report Garrett Cole's preferences. The Yankees spent the most money, and they got Garrett Cole. That was how it was always going to be. Right. I mean, he was going to follow the money, and the Yankees piled up an absurdly huge contract. And not that it's the wrong move, but there's no denying how huge it is. I mean, nine years for a pitcher who's 29 years old is... An absurd amount. Like there, there's no it's other way to say it. They it's an to albatross. Do it, yeah, and 
but they, they probably did have to do it. I, I agree with you. I mean, this puts the Yankees over the top. This puts them as the most talented team in baseball, and I don't really think it's all that close right now, even though obviously you're not going to be crowning anyone the World Series right. champions in December. The Yankees are the clear favorites right now to win the World Series. I mean, you look at the rotation now, led by Cole, who was obviously such a monster in the second half and in the postseason last year. You look at him following by Paxton, Severino if he's healthy, Tanaka in a walk Tanaka's year. I mean, year four in a walk year. And then you have the bullpen behind it. And then you have the lineup there, too, which is one of the best in baseball as well. I mean, it, it was it was the clear move that the Yankees had to make. I mean, it was written in stone. And as Cashman said, he was the white whale, Garrett Cole. They wanted to draft him. They wanted to trade for him before Houston got him from Pittsburgh. And they finally were able to get their, their man when they needed him most. And listen, it took a ton of money, but it, it was money well spent by the Yankees. And I don't think they're going to be regretting that contract too much in the back years with what he's going to be able to do in the first three or four. And Jimmy, this is just how I feel. This kind of makes up for the passing on Harper, passing on Machado. A lot of Yankee fans give Hal Steinbrenner a tough shake with the amount of money he does spend because he didn't go out and get the Bryce Harper or the Manny Machado when he had a clear mandate to do so, and they were lining up for that offseason. Then even though DJ LeMahieu panned out and XYZ panned out, they did not win the World Series last year, so it was a bitter pill to swallow. Spending $324 million on the best free agent pitcher probably in the next 5-10 years, one of the best of all time that's hit the free agent market, and there probably won't be another big fish like this on the pitching market in several years. I think that kind of absolves it a little bit. You need championships because in nine years down the road, this contract isn't going to look great on the back end. But if you win a couple championships in the front end, it'll look very good. So I think that's what will ultimately absolve it. But for now, we can give Hal Steinbrenner a pass. He opened the checkbook. He absolutely did, and I, I kind of hope this quashes the narrative. Oh, the Yankees don't spend money. That's a joke. That's a joke. They were trying to be more responsible. It doesn't mean they weren't spending money. This feels like the missing piece for the Yankees, and it also feels a little bit like when they got CeCe. In '09, right, right. you know that year was different because they had a couple missing pieces because they went out and got Teixeira and AJ Burnett. So definitely, it feels like they were like a really good starting pitcher away, and they tried to get that with James Paxton. He didn't quite deliver last year, and Garrett Cole is a guy who can absolutely deliver on that because we've seen it. He's a guy I thought should have won the Cy Young last year. He's been a Cy Young caliber pitcher the last two years in Houston, and. You look at that deal, nine years, 324, the back end of it, could it be ugly? Yeah, of course it could be ugly, but he's gotten opt out after five. You know, you've got really a, a three or four year window to get it done, you know, in the next right. couple of years with Judge still on his rookie deal, Sanchez still on his rookie deal. Everyone's primes. Everyone's primes right now. So this is this is the time to do it. And as long as they get one or two titles in the next couple of years, they're not going to care about the last three or four years of that deal, even if he runs out of gas at the end, because you're paying for right now. You're paying to be the best team in baseball next year and go win a championship. And this felt like the only piece they were missing in order to do that because their lineup matched up with Houston. We know their bullpen matched up with Houston. They just got overused because their starters didn't give them enough. And this was the one thing they needed. They got it, and now they've got a guy in the postseason they can give the ball to and trust to go out and win a game. And I've defended the Yankees' strategy with their starting pitching the last couple of years because – you look at the postseason ERA, and it didn't necessarily backbreak them. But then again, you look at it twofold. It, it overuses the bullpen. It overexposes the bullpen when you don't have that guy to really give your bullpen a spell, that guy to really lead the way, be the workhorse. And when you look at it from another perspective, everyone's like, oh, well, the Yankees didn't win because they didn't hit in big spots. Sure, but when you're playing from behind every game and your starting pitchers aren't keeping you necessarily in the games as much as they should, it's harder on the hitting. Also, 
you're facing Garrett Cole. Now he's on your team. Mm-hmm. So that that already, it, it, it helps the gap significantly. So uh, while you could have made the case the starting pitching didn't necessarily not win the Yankees the World Series last year, this helps put you over the top. No doubt about it. And not saying it'll happen, but it, it improves the odds majorly for the Yankees. And the Yankees had to do what they had to do like with their pitching strategy the last two years. Like They, they didn't have the personnel to really ride horses for seven, eight innings, 120 pitches just because they didn't have the personnel. I mean, you can talk about Masahiro Tanaka all you want and how good he's been in the postseason. Third time through the order, he's not a good pitcher, and and everyone knows that. And you look at what he did in Game 1 against Houston. I mean, he's a guy who was dominant through, what, six innings, and they don't bring him back out for the seven. There's a With reason they don't bring him. There's a reason they don't bring him back out. I mean, Severino, as good as he is, he wasn't healthy the entire year, had to work him back from the rotation. You just can't rely on these guys to go seven. The only guy you could really rely on was James Paxton to go that long, and he only really had one start where he showed he could go that long. So, and I think you learned a lot about Paxton this year. So I mean, for sure, yeah. Moving forward, you know the guys beyond Garrett Cole and what they have to offer. And Severino has a huge question mark attached to him health-wise this year. Now you have the depth and great depth in Cole yeah. to kind of absolve that. And you know the limitations, and this is a spot where you can now really use your bullpen to their advantage. And, I mean, if they go out and get Josh Hader, like, who knows what the ceiling is for this Yankee team because Hader makes that bullpen – from God to like, I don't even know what is after God because it already is godly. So <laughs> Nirvana. <laughs> it, yeah, like I, I don't even know how you compare that bullpen to anything we've ever seen before because the best bullpen we've ever seen is probably the Yankees bullpen right now, honestly. Right, so right. you add Hater to that equation and you got something else. But just back to my original point, you now have a sequence where like you have a horse you can rely on in the postseason and then you have really good starters afterwards in Paxton, Severino, and Tanaka that you know that you're going to have a healthy bullpen and you're going to have a rested bullpen all likelihood with what Cole's going to be able to do. So that's where you can really pick your spots and that's where Aaron Boone is really going to be able to use his bullpen f- more flexibly in under instead of what he had to do this year where he just really had to rely on his bullpen so much going in the postseason. Yeah, and I mean, you look at what happened last playoffs, right, with all these guys coming in. Tanaka doesn't go through third time through the order. James Paxton in game two goes like, what, one and and two thirds or two and a third. Yeah, right. So you're not going to have to deal with that. And also you look at if they go out and get Hader, you're basically replacing Dylan Batances with Hader. And I think Hader's better, personally. I think Hader's one of the best relievers in the game. And less question mark without the injury. And he's not even necessarily the closer at that point. He could be 7th inning, 8th inning, however you want to use him. And also, when guys are struggling, you could just use them less because Hader's a guy you turn to, you could give him the ball for two innings. He could just go in there, mow down the lineup, steal two innings from you, and then leave. So that that would be, if they get Josh Hader, they are the clear prohibitive favorite. And then you're just basically, at that point, counting on everyone staying healthy, didn't happen last year, obviously, but by the playoffs, most of the team was back intact, and as long as you have that intact, or at least mostly intact, you're going to have a, a fully operational Death Star for 2020. Uh, well, at that point, there's really no flaw, and I'm not going to say there's a flaw right now with getting Garrett Cole. You just made the rotation. It used to be solid. Now it's an elite rotation. You have a bullpen that already has the world of Chapman, Zach Britton. Adam Adovino, Tommy Canley, even Chad Green is a guy who's overlooked and is one of the elite relievers in the game. You add a Josh Hader to it, you're six deep in that bullpen, and that's not to mention the multi-inning ability. So you already have a bullpen that can basically cover a game, but you have four good to elite starters that can give you length. And I think maybe Garrett Cole's addition to the rotation can help some of the other guys in the rotation, his perspective, his durability. He can maybe shed some wisdom on the other guys and set a standard of going deeper into games. So maybe that will benefit the Yankees. Who knows? But beyond that, let's say everyone stays as is, and you just add a Garrett Cole, 
you have every fifth day a guy that can take the ball and go seven or eight innings, regardless of the stuff he has. And that's monumental to what the Yankees had the last couple of years. Look, it's winning time for the Yankees. They have no excuses now. They're not a year or two away. They're not the team that's just a tier below the Houston Astros, but really good. They are the favorite. They are the evil empire. They are the team that has to win or else they're going to face major scrutiny. And there's a four- or five-year window, as Jimmy mentioned. There are no excuses. They have to win one or two championships or else it's an absolute failure. And you look around the American League, too, right? The Astros are going to take a step back without Cole. And, you know, if they trade Correa, which they're talking about, which might happen, might not. And the, the Mets are supposedly in discussions with him, which I don't really believe. But um, they're going to take a step back. I mean, the Angels, we'll talk about them. They got Rendon, but... You know, what's their ceiling? 85 wins, maybe? Where's the pitching? Where's the pitching, right? I mean, they're going to lose games 9-8. to That's just what (laughs) they're going to do. And then who else even is there? I mean, do you think the Twins or the Indians or the A's are a legitimate threat? Red Sox might be back if they put things together, but a lot of question marks in their rotation. I think the Rays are going to be very good next year, so that'll be a nice little race in the AL East. We'll see how early it is the Yankees can maybe put some separation, but you, you look at how feisty the Rays were the entire year last year with the Yankee team that was pretty much running away the entire year to 103 wins. I really like what the Rays are made of. And they kind of find ways to get it done. It's not like they're the glamorous team yeah. in the league, but they're going to win ball games. But then it's a lot of eh throughout the American League yeah. right now. There are question marks surrounding the Astros, as you mentioned. I don't see a team really stepping up to the plate that's like that, as you mentioned, Death Star. Right. The Yankees are that the Astros team. Were like, Death Star last year. The Yankees are the really feared team right now in the league. I don't see that right now, aside from Houston, who, as you mentioned, lost people in the offseason. So maybe the biggest threat to the Yankees right now is coming in the National League, and we'll see which teams improve and step up to the plate. But they're shaping up to be some great division races in the National League right now that maybe not might not be there in the American League. I mean, let's not let's not sleep on Houston though. Oh, I for sure. I, I, I know. I, I know. We're saying it, but like, yeah, they lost Garrett Cole, but I mean, this is this is a team that's still led by two Hall of Fame starting pitchers and right. Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke. They still have an all-world lineup. I mean, this is a lineup that's returning. What nine guys with an eight hundred plus OPS from a year ago? I see mean, how many that, that, that's why. I mean, that's why. We'll also like, see if they can all match that. I mean, that's not. A good yeah, thing. and then of course, but like you're talking about a team that arguably still has the best lineup in baseball. Their rotation is still stacked, and you have to think they're probably going to add to it at some point. And an underrated bullpen as well. So I mean, listen, the Yankees are the clear favorite after adding Garrett Cole. No question about that. But let, let's not write off Houston right now and if you want to shift to the National League there there's certainly going to be some interesting moves to be made there and I mean the NL East loaded again um like what the Braves are doing I think they're either going to end up back with Donaldson or they're going to trade for Chris Bryant which would be certainly interesting if they are able to get Bryant and if the Cubs are willing to move Bryant which it seems like they are uh Phillies add Zach Wheeler I think the Phillies are going to be a player this year I know I've said it the last two years that the Phillies are going to play didn't really believe it, but adding Zach Wheeler is a difference maker for that rotation. Uh, Nationals the Nationals are the together. Nationals. They got Strasburg back. They lose Rendon, obviously, which is a huge loss. He was their best player, arguably the best player in the National League. But, like, the NL's loaded again. Like, yeah. the, the NL has a lot of players, and the Dodgers don't really lose anyone. They're probably going to add a starting pitcher, whether that's Bumgarner, which is their rumor, too, or re- get Ryu back. But they add Blake Trine into the bullpen. They're probably going to make a few more additions there. So I, I think the Dodgers are in good position to add. So... I, I think the NL is going to be loaded again. It's honestly similar to what it's going to line up as it was last year. Just the Yankees and Astros kind of flopped spots. Yeah, a lot of a lot of talent in the league and a lot of top heaviness as well. Where you have your great teams, you have your really bad teams, and then 
you're probably going to have another situation in the American League where the records will be inflated at the top because of some teams like, unfortunately, yours, Jackson, and you have the good, Detroit Tigers. You have good, you have pretty meh. pretty bad. You have and then, bad, and then you have the Orioles and Tigers. With right. 50 feet of crap in between bad and the Orioles. Correct. By the way, congratulations right. to Austin Romine, who is now the starting catcher for the Tigers. So he gets his due. The Yankees lose a backup catcher. We'll see what they do there, but there are rumors that the Yankees could bring in Martin Maldonado, who – not as a personal catcher, but as a guy who matches very well with Garrett Cole, could be a very good backup for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, and Austin Romine was maybe the best backup catcher in the league last year. I mean, it's almost unfair to call him a backup because he played so much. It's hard to identify those, yeah. but he had a career season offensively. Yeah. He's a solid defender and a guy who – I try to tell this to Jackson because he slanders Romine a lot. I do because <laughs> he's not a good player. But wow. it's hard to define what a good backup catcher is. And there also aren't that many good starting catchers in the league. So it's a guy who deserved a starting job, and he got it with a terrible team, but he got a starting job for $4 million. I mean, he's he's good relative to the rest of of the catchers who are out there. Like, he's going to be in probably the top half of catchers in the league. You can't tell me what a good backup catcher is. I mean, I am am looking forward to him giving Miguel Cabrera birthday punches, but um, (laughs) I I look forward to that. that Yeah, that'd be a weird dynamic. But yeah, he'll help. But I mean, I'm a fan of the Yankees getting a guy like Maldonado because I think he could be a really good guy, play him twice a week or whatever Sanchez needs. You hope, obviously, Sanchez stays healthy. Right. But, you know, he can catch Cole at least to start the season and until Sanchez DH gets comfortable. And you Sanchez a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. Like, you don't need to wear out Sanchez behind the plate. I- I'm inclined to say Sanchez is injury-prone, especially the last couple of years with the amount of time he's missed and all these groin injuries he gets just day in, day out running. So, yeah, I want insurance to Gary Sanchez. I want a guy who can hit and also can catch the best pitchers on the staff. Clearly, Maldonado can catch Garrett Cole. And I also like the fact that right now the Yankees don't have a true DH, assuming Stanton can stay healthy, which is an if. But that DH slot is open right now, and I'd like to see Gary Sanchez get more of a play there. And maybe two, three times a week you can DH him. You can play a guy like Maldonado behind the plate. So I don't think it's as simple as, okay, we slide Kyle Higashioka into that backup role. Maybe that could be a play there. I like it. I don't think that should be your first option. But no. if you can bring in a guy like Maldonado on the cheap, I'm I'm doing it if I'm the Yankees. Yeah, I don't really have. I feel like you guys hit it all. All right. I don't, have, I don't, have, I don't have much <laughs> we'll to add on. there. I, I don't want to talk about backup catchers. I because you're going to get me involved with Austin Roman. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get involved. Let's, in that let's not talk about that slander because there's no such thing as a good backup catcher really in the league right now, aside from Austin Roman last year. Don't slander Chance Cisco like that. <laughs> <laughs> who'd you call? Who'd you call a Chance Cisco with a glove? Yadi Molina. Yadi Molina. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. No, dude. we're slandering a guy who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He's just Chance Cisco with an arm. All right, that's another. No discussion. disrespect to Yadi. That was clearly a troll. We're, we're but... going a little off the rails here, but it, it, we move on to the Crosstown team. That's the New York Mets. They've made a couple moves. They've been the least active team in the National League East. It, you could argue that the Marlins have been a little more active than the Mets have. So far this offseason, you have the Phillies, the Braves, the Nationals all getting better. Maybe the Nationals got worse, but they're still the defending champions, so let's give them that. And the Mets, so far, what you've seen is add a better Juan Lagaris in center field. That's Jake Marisnik. And to the starting rotation, you have Mike Waka. Bring him in. Rick Porcello is the news today. They bring him in. So now at least Brody Van Wagenen is addressing the elephant in the room where, look, none of your starters got hurt last year. Let's add some depth to it. But now I'm seeing rumors that the Mets might trade one of their starters. Like this fantasy baseball and you're automatically going to have five slots. They're all going to stay healthy the entire year. 
and let's just slot him in. Oh, let's trade Syndergaard because we got Rick Porcello who's coming off a horrendous year. So I don't really get the Mets' path right now. There's a clear path to contention for them. You shore up the hole, center field, catcher, a couple more depth starting pieces, and fortify the bullpen. doesn't seem they want to spend the money to get better. And they want to trade away pieces when they get a couple depth options. Somebody tweeted out last year, and I want to give the proper credit because I don't don't remember who it was, but that the Mets are playing MLB The Show, except in real life, where it's just like, (laughs) we're going to get five guys, we're going to trade for whoever, we're going to, you know, force trades or whatever you do in that game. Yeah, um, you look at what they're doing to their rotation, and they have six starters. And the the last time they did this, and we were talking about this uh, before the show, was before the 2016 season when they had – Bartolo, Wheeler, who never came back that year, and then the the other four guys that they had in their rotation, most of whom went down that season. Um, you talked about the guys getting 30 starts all of last year. That is not happening again. Um, and that's going to sound terrible, but over the course of a season, things happen, and the Mets were actually one of the healthier teams in baseball last year. It's the first time we've been able to say that in a while, but they were, when you think about it, they were remarkably healthy. What I mean, if Pete Alonso gets hurt yeah. this year? It's possible. Takes yeah. a fastball off the wrist. He's gone two months. And then that's the problem. That's the flawed yeah. logic right now. I think the Mets expect, okay, look, the bullpen was bad last year and cost us X amount of games. We were X amount of games out of the playoffs. So if we get production out of the bullpen this year and add a couple pieces to it, we are automatically a playoff team. It doesn't work that way because – your offense isn't going to get a 330 season out of Jeff McNeil automatically. 53 home runs out of Pete Alonso automatically. Conforto even had a pretty good year numbers-wise, even though it was inconsistent. You get a couple injuries there, all of a sudden you need insurance on other parts of the team to combat it. Who's to say Jacob deGrom has another Cy Young season? He's had two consecutive. But you're probably counting on it for the Mets to be good. You are, and and that's a problem. You can't rely. Brody Van Wagenen said he would eliminate ifs when he became the GM. (laughs) He's operating on a whole lot of ifs right now. They, they've added That's more a ifs ridiculous statement. since he took over. <laughs> that is a ridiculous statement. I mean, you, you are looking at the Mets right now. Let's be completely honest here. This is a Mets team that had pretty much everything go right for them besides the bullpen last year. And this is a team that still missed the playoffs. Yeah. Like, you're talking about everything went right for them last year. Even the year before, a lot went right for the Mets with DeGrom having one of the best years in baseball history for a starter. And last year, DeGrom was a Cy Young. You obviously have the lineup exploding, which the way it did, and Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil stepping up, among others. You have J.D. Davis come out of nowhere, essentially. And you're relying on this year, everything to go right and again. Plus, your only additions are Michael Waka, who sucks, and Rick Porcello, who is even worse. Yeah. Like Rick Porcello. That, that's where the Mets are at right now. You're relying on bounce-back candidates to... Fill out the four and five slots in your rotation right now. After losing Zach Wheeler, who was one of the 15 best pitchers in baseball last year. Yeah, and you look at Porcello. Since that Cy Young season of 2016, which he shouldn't have won the Cy Young that year, but that's another story. The last three years for Rick Porcello, 465, 428, and 552 for the ERA. 5-5 last year. 5-5 is terrible. That's one of the worst pitchers in the league. Now, granted, he'll get a bump from (laughs) City Field because he doesn't have to pitch at Fenway Park anymore, so I don't think he's going to be that bad again. But, my God, I mean, you're replacing Zach Wheeler with Rick Porcello, essentially. Michael Walk is in there for depth. And let's be a little real here. When Porcello won the Cy Young, he shouldn't have won the Cy Young. No, of course not. He won not. because of wins. Yeah. So, I, I know he had a good year. He had like a 3-2, what was it? But 3-1-5. 3-1-5. It was a good year, but it's not a Cy Young year on most years. So, it, we're not looking at an amazing pitcher here. I will say, though, Rick Porcello fills a very important need for the Mets, which was the New Jersey guy. <laughs> which was filled by Todd Frazier. So that's filled now. 
So that's a big get for the Mets. But no, yeah, I mean he's he has not been a good pitcher. It's since just that. frustrating. And he, fills, he fills the excuse role as well. Yes, uh, the, and he's the going to Van Wagen an excuse. He's role. going to eat innings. And I'm not even a Mets that's, fan. That's not it's good. really frustrating because when you look at the talent on this roster, they are a couple of all-in moves away from being a championship roster. And it is just a matter of ownership not wanting to spend that money. I know Steve Cohen's coming in five years. Don't tell me about it anymore because it's five years away. And when you look at what the Mets have right now, in the bedrocks of that offense, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, Ahmed Rosario may be coming around after last year. J.D. Davis, it looks like he got a great find there. In the rotation, no Cindergaard ceiling is extremely high. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball right now until proven otherwise. You add to the bullpen, you add to center field, you make a couple all-in moves. Maybe they go out and get an Anthony Rendon, which they did not seem linked to at one point or another. Oh, shocker. Oh, shocker. Really? This is the makings of a championship team and a core that can win in a five-year period, maybe like what the Yankees are doing. It's frustrating that there's just no commitment at the highest level. There isn't, and, and I think that will change when, when Steve Cohen comes in with the fun coupons and says, hey, we're going to spend $200 million every year because it seems like that's what he's going to do. The problem is the Mets kind of have to make the most of this window because Stroman is up at the end of next year. We've Sydney got Gard's about Stroman. <laughs> in a couple of years. You know, DeGrom's extended. DeGrom's going to be there. But you can't necessarily count on him just dropping two ERA seasons every year and being up there for the Cy Young. He might do that. But it's unlikely. And he's, he's going to have blips on the radar for sure. So you kind of have to take advantage of this window. And like you said, too, E-Man, Alonzo's not going to hit 53 home runs every year. That's just not a given. Jeff McNeil, I think, actually can be like a 300 hitter every year. But right. he's not going to do it at the prolific rate that he did last year, at least all the time. He'll just settle in as a really, really good everyday player. But I don't think he's going to be you know, hitting 320, 330 every year. It's just not realistic. Michael Conforto had a great year. I think that's sustainable. Ahmed Rosario, I think, is going to be really good next year. But again, like you said, you know, the lack of commitment. I mean, you look at a position like second base, Robinson Cano is going in the wrong direction. That that might be a position that hurts them in the next couple of years, if we're being honest. They haven't really filled the third base vacancy, other than maybe they're just going to move McNeil there, which I guess fine at that point. But They're trying to offload yeah. Jed Lowry, which is basically an admission that last year's offseason was a failure. Yes. Uh, offseason, Brody Van Wagenen called all in. And now Brody Van Wagenen has the nerve to meet the media today and, and say, we have the deepest rotation in baseball. Can we stop with these billboard statements? Because they're very inaccurate. Come and get us. we circle back <laughs> to it every June or July and say, look, the Mets have imploded. Where are you now? You might be an 85-win team. You might make a little run that everyone can get a little excited behind at the end of the season. But this is not a team that can compete with the rest of the teams in the National League East. I, I think my favorite part about last year was when like the Mets got it to like a half game out of the wild card when they won like 15 to 16 or something crazy like that, and everyone was like, "Wow, Brody's a genius for trading for Stroman." Like their idea of going all in. Let's remember their idea of going all in was trading for a 36-year-old second baseman. <laughs> With a 10-year contract, who is coming off a steroid suspension, and Edwin Diaz. Who Edwin Diaz is great. Was great, I should was say. Was great, yeah. Com- coming into be. that. And he can he be. Can and he be. can be. And I'm not saying he shouldn't. I like, the right I, pitching coach, maybe. You, like, you could tell me this year, like, if you told me Edwin Diaz was the best reliever in baseball this year, I wouldn't doubt it for a second because he certainly got the stuff to do it. But, like, that was the Mets' idea of going on. That adding Jed Lowry, who didn't play at all last year until September, and Jerry Smiley, who had a 5-5 five, five ERA last year. So, like... I don't know how any Mets fan could have an ounce of faith in Brody Van Wagenen right now. That that that's kind of where I would be at with the Mets because the only good move he's made in my eyes was JD Davis. That's the only good move he's made. You can argue the Stroman deal was good optics wise, but again, Stroman didn't really pitch well last year. Even for the Mets. Ramos 
even though he hit well last year. I almost forgot about it. It was a scandal. Like that Syndergaard yeah. wouldn't throw to him. <laughs> <It's a scandal>. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> even when you look at a positive move Van Wagenen made, Wilson Ramos played to the back of his baseball card, and still it was a point of contention with the team. It was a whole episode <laughs> with Wilson Ramos. <laughs> so he, he made one of your top pitchers who's supposed to frontline your rotation this year almost get shipped out of town because he was making headlines as to say, I don't want to throw to my starting catcher. So everything that was good for Brody Van Wagenen this year was bad with the exception of J.D. Davis, who you don't even know where you're going to play next year. Right, and J.D. Davis was like a deep-cut analytical find. Like, Brody doesn't even really deserve that much credit for him. That was more like Adam Gutridge and the analytics department pulling yeah. through on that one. By the way, um, if point. Jed Lowry is to get traded before we do our next episode, uh, just raise a glass. His Mets career, 0 for 7. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, he, he registered in that pack. Congratulations. <laughs> he registered seven in, in September. They brought him back, and he was clearly not healthy because he wasn't playing the field. He's wearing, like, that huge helmet. Yeah. He kind of looked out of place. Oh, he yeah. looked like a he looked like a stormtrooper. It was bad. I know Eno Saris, is, uh, who was writer for The Athletic and Fangraphs, I think, at one time as well. His prediction of the offseason was that Jed Lowry gets traded back to the A's just because it would be so fitting for him to go and, back and to Oakland. And he will go back to the A's and rip it up again. 325 with like a 390 on base. He had a like, really, really good year before yeah, three, the Mets three signed Three and a half win season. Like, like there was a debate to be had before last year whether Jed Lowry or DJ LeMahieu was a better pickup. And there it was, was a, a debate legit, to be had. And it was a legit debate. Yeah. It was, and Jed Lowry, I Lowry's think. Lowry's a good player. Like, Lowry people, is a good player. People were saying like before the season started, oh, like, we got the good guy. We got Jed Lowry. Like, I would have wanted Jed Lowry on the Yankees, but yep. it completely flip-flopped. I mean, I think if he wouldn't have gotten hurt, I think he would have been a good player for the Mets last year. Right. The problem is they have nowhere to put him. Because, you know, you're not putting him at second base because Lord knows you're paying Robinson Cano whatever they are in that contract, and you traded, you basically imploded your own farm system to get him. You did that, and then you go out, and you, you the idea was probably they were going to put Jed Lowry at third, and then McNeil would kind of just rove around, and then that, that just that just never worked out because just Lowry never played. So, look, I mean, it's emblematic of, of the Mets, and you look at their offseason so far, I mean, they've replaced Zach Wheeler, who could be a monster in Philadelphia next year, who I'm convinced absolutely probably will be a really good pitcher for Philly, and you've replaced him with Michael Waka and Rick Porcello, and that is not making your team better. That is making your team worse. And right now, if I were to pick it, I think they finish fourth in this division. A couple news and notes as we are doing the podcast here. It is Thursday afternoon, so just for reference, whenever you're listening. 3.49 on the show. 3.49 on the show. (laughs) Red Sox just got Jose Peraza, so make of that as you will. Yankees are apparently very serious about the hater thing. Uh, Rosenthal just reported it. So... Good Lord. That could happen, which is we were just fantasizing Good about it. Freaking Lord! But the Yankees are apparently very serious about Josh Hader. So. There, there is not a god on this earth if Josh Hader becomes a Yankee. Oh my God! <laughs> are you serious? Oh my God! Hader, Chapman, Britton, Canley, Ottavino, Green. Good freaking Lord! Man. Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, oh, James Jeepers. Yeah. Aaron Judge. I mean, it's a race to the sixth inning at that point. DJ LeMahieu. Because you don't need you don't. I mean, you could have starters go five, six innings, and then you could just have Hader go an inning or two innings, depending on the Sal Licato is a good follow on Twitter. The Yankees are going to dominate Major League Baseball in 2020 like no other team has done before. It's a good assessment if they get Hader. If they get Hader. If they get Hader. <laughs> if they get Hader. Again, I mean, all of this depends on health. Obviously, yes. I mean, we, we you can't harp it down enough, and everybody's just giving the just Yankees. Just look at the Yankees last year. They yeah, I mean, everybody's giving man. the Yankees a championship Well, here's one thing year. I'll say. 
they can't have any worse luck than they did with health last year. That's probably like true. that was unlike anything we've ever seen. So let's give the Yankees Cole. Let's give the Yankees Cole and Hater, and then better luck than last year, which is basically guaranteed because they had the worst luck in the world with the injuries. But even if they don't to have be luck, fair, I mean, though, they, they also death. had they also had the good luck swinged in the opposite direction, where like literally everyone played well last year. I think so, but at the same time, when guys aren't on the field, like you're not getting 40 home runs from Aaron Judge. You're not getting that production. Yeah, but you had like Gio Urshela become like yeah, it was the next the man reborn up man of Brooks Robinson at third base. <laughs> what I'm going to say is, I don't think you'll ever see it again. Where it's a consistent chain of okay, next guy comes up from Triple A Scranton and, and produces, and and you won't also won't see a record-setting 35 guys on the IL in a season. So. You'll probably get a couple more normal seasons next year, where maybe Aaron Judge plays 150 games. And, like if DJ LeMayu isn't the son of Christ again. Like, it, it, yeah, but if yeah. DJ LeMayu it's close to 300, I'd be happy. But next he's, year. he's not going to need to be because he. Kind no, of, I know, I know, I know. I'm not saying like last year. Like, and, and then again, we're talking about the opposite of the Mets mentality. Judge or LeMahieu could not be their normal selves next year, but you added Cole and Hayter. Yeah, of course. And then maybe course, Sanchez has a complete season next year. Maybe someone else steps all, up. All, the point but that's I, the insurance you buy the yourself. Only, the only point I was trying to make is that, like, yes, it was terrible luck. But it was also great. Yankees, it was also like, great, yeah. Like, they just had, like, random guy. Like, yeah. Mike Talkman became an MVP candidate. Cameron Maven like, came in nowhere. for a spell. And hit Cameron like Maven was hitting home runs. Like, Mike it was Talkman like, had, like, a three-war and yeah. only played, like— it was, what, like, it was like 90 games. It's like replacement level players Mike became Talkman. like MVP candidates out of nowhere. Talkman could start for the Yankees. Mike next Talkman year. was better than Bryce Harper last year. He was. He Mike, actually Mike was. Talkman Gio was like the was best outfielder in baseball but. sans Mike Trout. Urshela <laughs> 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 proved something. He, he proved he should maybe get a Machado pick. Yeah, well, hey. I mean, <laughs> but, but that's what you're <laughs> talking really about. Right? There? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what you're talking about with the mindset, right? The Yankees could have just easily said, all right, we got Cole Worth. We're done. Uh, they can continue to go for it. Cash, we could have sat there and like, all right, I'm going back to sleep. And but the no. fan base, 50, 60% of which I hate, these guys want Lindor, which which probably wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility based on what Cashman has in terms of ammunition he could probably trade. So let's move forth before we wrap the show. A.J. Hinch, Astros, cheating scandal. We'll spend a couple minutes on this. and We probably don't want to waste our breath too much. A.J. Hinch meets the media. Astros... The accusations are very serious. It's an ongoing investigation with Major League Baseball. Cheating, stealing signs, and John Boy, who's become a revelation on Twitter with all these videos, has released a lot of indisputable evidence of banging with trash cans happening at the stadium. There is even a point to the level where the whistling in the World Series with the Dodgers in 2017 was evident. Last year, you saw Chirinos at the plate against the Yankees with what looked like a buzzer device on his hand. We're not going to go too far with these allegations because those aren't proven. But you're probably not picking up a little handpiece or whatever that piece of dust was that fell off his hand if it's not something you shouldn't be wearing. He went and picked it up off the ground. And it looked very much like an electronic buzzer. So the Astros have been accused of stealing signs, which Jackson has claimed on Twitter many times is something that happens with every team in baseball. Here's what I'll counter it Jackson. Does. Here's what I'll counter, Jackson. Sure, every team probably tries to get a competitive edge in baseball. I'll agree with that. If you're trying to win, if you're analytically savvy, you probably find ways with technology to get ahead of the game. I don't think other teams were doing it to the extent the Astros did because that's the reason the Astros are getting caught. That's the reason you're hearing banging at Minute Maid Park. The Astros took it to a new level, and they're going to get a severe punishment for it. Well, they're clearly cheating. Like, I mean, like, there's no doubt about that, and... I know we said before that I was going to maybe claim innocence, but there, there's no way you can claim innocence because they clearly were cheating. My response to this is this. Cheating is cheating. I, I don't care 
if it's something very minor or if it's something very major like this, one way or another, you're you're comprehending and you're you're knowingly trying to cheat the game of baseball. So, what's it for me to say that even if the Astros are the only team that is doing something like this, where they're using cameras and they're using all the trash cans and stuff like that to get a competitive advantage, they're just trying harder than everyone else to cheat. Because if teams are using technology in that regard, it and they're cheating to steal signs in that way, then this is just a case of the Astros did it better than other teams but did. But we don't know that. Like, we don't know that The other report teams... says that it's happening around the league. That's very that... vague. That, that does not portray any specific teams that are doing it around the league. And, and you're, it doesn't, it you're doesn't trying to make like a steroid-like teams. argument where, okay, everyone's doing it, so this player's just better than everyone else. That's what the report said. I, I don't buy that every team is doing something like this. You think the Mets, who are Ken like Rosenthal not analytically savvy, are, are, are using technology like this? Ken Rosenthal literally said that they this is the happening in everywhere field. in baseball. Yes, and I know it's cheating. Like I, I, It absolutely is cheating, but you can't convince me that there's not a single team in baseball that isn't cheating somehow in a way to steal signs. I think I think pretty much every team is at least trying. Exactly. So other teams around the league are trying to cheat. The only difference is the Astros is one they got caught, which is their fault completely, and I, I'm not denying that. The yeah, Astros yeah. deserve you have to a be guy punished. Taking down a monitor in the runway and out of the dugout after a playoff game and, and dismantling it for the next day's game—that's such a but the bad Astros, optic. But the Astros were so brazen about it. Like you think about like teams will steal signs and like hey you know you'll see like when there's a guy on second base the catcher will go out to the pitcher and be like hey we have to do different signs here because the guy's seeing it and everybody's doing that obviously. But the Astros had a monitor. They had a trash can. They had a dog whistle. They might have had lights in center field. Good for them. I mean, at Good this for point, them. I, I, you clearly have no morals, Jackson. I mean, my yeah, but my God, but every team in baseball is cheating in some capacity. I mean, they might as well be Rockefeller Center at this point with all this like bells and whistles stuff, trying to steal signs. Like this is insane. And I just hate how AJ Hinch stands up there in the playoffs and it's like, oh, if we knew this would have riled up the Yankees, we would have practiced it preseason. What's he supposed to do? You've been practicing to do? here for three years. He should. No. He should, he should what, not you do, what he should have did no was comment. not comment. Exactly. That's what he should have no done. No comment. Don't partake in I'll it. If you're you cheating, just let it go. Instead, he acted cocky and was like, oh, it's ridiculous That's what to he think done. that we're I, cheating. I will agree with we're that. We're so good, it's ridiculous to think that we could ever do something that immoral. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's been observing it and abiding to it for like three or four years. That is absolutely disgusting. And A.J. Hinch deserves at least a half-season suspension next a year. half-season? Yes. Really? Wow. If he's enabling it, I'm of the mindset, everyone's like, oh, is Beltran going to get a, a reprimand? If you're a player, and this is what you're being instructed to partake in by the organization, and the organization knows it, you can't suspend every player. Let's be real here. The players aren't going to get anything. But if you're one of the facilitators of it, like an A.J. Hinch that works at the front office to enable something like this, I think you deserve the harshest punishments. Everyone's like, strip the title. Ridiculous. We saw it happen. They won the World Series. Vacating titles is the stupidest thing in sports. It is, 100%. 100%. We all saw it. You can't tell me I didn't see the Astros win the World Series because I saw it happen in front of my eyes. But... You can reprimand these guys. You can take the GM out of the front office. What's with the rumors about them getting like the death penalty? Like, yeah, how are you how are you gonna give a death penalty to a major league <laughs> what baseball? You, what even what even is the death penalty? Like so, you bolt? <laughs> I, it's not. I'm. What are you doing to a fr- like? You can't just like <laughs> scrap the franchise entirely for banging some no, garbage can you expl- cans. Can you explain to me what? The I death don't know. Penalty is? I don't know what it would what mean. I, what I'm thinking is, um, in the '80s, SMU football. That, I, I know that paying, story. Pony excess. They it's, were paying. It's a very good thirty for thirty about. They were paying. 
paying like all their star players like cars and just they were paying their players and they were doing it bigger than anybody else and they were still winning like eight games a year. But the NCAA stepped in and said, "Hey, enough!" And they they made the example out of them. They gave them the death penalty, but like within five years they were back. Yeah, like the, death fo- penalty, the football program got scrapped yes. essentially. But that's not going to but happen you here. You can't do that to a billion dollar franchise. You're not, and they're not going. And to. And they're not going to. The, I think people won't. are going to be, even though I'm of the proponent. Like give them harsh penalties. I think people are going to be very disappointed with the penalties. Absolutely, I, I don't think it's going to be that. that but major. I also think Major League Baseball kind of has to make a statement here because if they're not like too harsh with the penalties, what's going to stop me if I'm running, you know, any one of these teams that needs a competitive edge from doing this? Because look at what the Astros did, right? 2015 and 2016, they struck out at historic rates, and then starting in 2017, which is when this whole thing supposedly kicked off, they just didn't strike out anymore. And why do you think that happened? Well, they, they knew it was coming. Yeah, how is Altuve striking out like 45 times a year? I'm not diminishing the fact that he's a great player, but even the best contact hitters in the league strike out like 100 times a year now. And you have players on the Astros like Bregman and, and Altuve who are striking out like 70, 60 times. It's, it's, a, it's a little fishy, and I think that might return this year if they're – no longer having this mechanism, or maybe they'll find a new way. I mean, they're also a better. They're also a better. They'll find team. a way to yeah. cheat another way. Like, and that's what that's what all teams do. Like, that's what all individuals do in baseball. Like, y- you find a way to not get caught this time. That that, that that's just the way it's going to be. But my point more with this entire thing is that everyone in baseball is stealing signs with technology. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The only reason that the Astros stand out is because, one, they got caught, obviously, which, again, is their fault, and they deserve to be punished for it. And, two, it's because they went to extremes that no other teams have gone yeah. to. But my point here is that if, if all teams are cheating, you might as well go to these sort of extremes if you don't think you're going to get caught. But the Astros, they get caught, like I said. and So it's again, always it okay until series. you get caught. That's the motto of the but story. Also, let's if be- you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> let's be honest, that, that's, that's my motto. That's not let's be honest, though. What made the Astros think they weren't going to get caught? Arrogance. <laughs> like, honestly. It's AJ they Hinch's had, arrogance. They had <laughs> a monitor, an Apple TV, a dog whistle, and blinking lights in, in center field. And they also have, like, 3,000 people in the stadium at these April games, and you can hear the trash banging, yes. like— from miles away. Yeah, I don't then, understand how people didn't catch this earlier. But even in the playoffs this year, you go back and watch it. It was like the ninth inning of one of the games, and you hear this like very high-pitched whistle. With Chapman on the mound. With Chapman in the on ALCS. the mound. With the fans standing and cheering, and you could still hear it on the broadcast. And there are 45,000 people in the building at that point, and you still hear this whistle. So I don't understand how they thought this wasn't going to bleed through. And it did. It did. It's just it's hubris. I mean, at this point, I feel like the Astros are kind of the New England Patriots of MLB. With the cheating and the hubris, and and also the fact the that they're Patriots really successful, yeah, the Patriots maybe win a little more, more, but you know they they said, hey, we can get away with this, and and I mean, look at the, what the Patriots have done; they've been doing it for many more years, obviously, but it's it's the same idea. It's like, oh, they're not going to catch us; we can get away with that. They've also made an embarrassment of themselves too, with the whole thing that happened with the assistant GM in the locker room after Game Six and all that sort of. It was of a nonsense. ripple effect was- that was. About three, four weeks long, yeah. that it completely disgraced the franchise. Yeah. Because people were already tainting them even being in the World Series, like, oh, this is an immoral franchise. The assistant GM, his actions were despicable, and he deserved to go. But between that and then about five days later, that Rosenthal report was out. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, too. 
there are a lot of people who want to see the Astros get taken down in this around baseball. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of people who are like, hey, we got cheated. And, and I, I mean, I do hate the Yankees fans who are like, oh, they should replay the yeah, 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 that's ridiculous. Get out of here. But, I mean, there are a lot of people who want to see the Astros taken down. I'm not saying that's going to factor into the punishment, but it is something to think about when that punishment gets handed down. There are going to be people celebrating, especially if it's a more more severe punishment. My final claim on this is that Michael Elias is innocent. Sigma Dell is innocent, and anyone from the Astros that now works for the Orioles is innocent. Hey, I Those hope, are my only I final hope claims. Elias gets a penalty just for you saying that. No, he's innocent. He's he, he's good people. Yeah, he's good people. <laughs> that that'll be the most attention the Orioles get next year if he gets a suspension. No, well they'll start out like six and five next year, right. and then then they'll wind up. Oh, if you yeah. if you don't think John Means is beating Garrett Cole on opening day, you are insane. I even admitted to Jackson I fully <laughs> anticipate that happening. Then the New York papers, like they didn't know nine. We'll say that the Cole signing was a mistake, and then the Yankees will go on to win the World Series. Listen, the '98 Yankees started one and three. They did. That's all I'm gonna say. And they were they also only had like 25 losses at some point in September, and then they kind of <laughs> mailed it in, but <laughs> and then end up winning the World Series. So it's been a good show. Got to a lot, guys. It should be an exciting rest of the winter meetings, which are wrapping up actually, and then the rest of the off season. We'll track the Astro situation. We'll have a couple more off season episodes, a season preview episode of Nosebleeds. Until then, for Jackson Heil, Jimmy Sullivan, Emmanuel Barbari, this is Nosebleeds on WFUVSports.org.